So if you've got a Bible, you can turn it to Hebrews chapter 10, going from verse 19. This is a wonderful passage. And uh, we are only going to scrape the surface of it this morning. But it is so rich, has so much to say to us. Um, uh, but, but I pray we're, we're blessed as we look at what we do look at this morning. Just, can we have the, slide up, the next slide up, Zach? Just a reminder of devoted groups again. And uh, some people are asking, oh, which community group? I'm in this community group. Which one do I go to? So just a reminder, if you're um, in Eastnet, uh, South Bank, or uh, Impact, come along to Devoted at Hope House um, on a Tuesday. Um, if you're in Stockton community groups, Stockton Villages, uh, Hartlepool, be at Rosebrook School on Thursday. Um, if you are uh, in the Middlesbrough community group, uh, Southside community group, um, or you're one of our uh, Eritrean brothers and sisters, you'll find a real warm welcome there um, at Linthorpe Road Resource Centre. Although, hey, if you're if you come to any of the groups, you'll find a warm welcome. Um, and if you're not part of a community group and you just want some more information, you, you can either turn up or if you sign one of the cards at the back and pop it in that red post box, we will send you some information before the week um, so that you know what's going on and know what's happening. So, uh, devoted groups this week. And uh, as Raj has already said, we've been running this kind of mini-series. Um, did I miss a group out? I didn't miss a group out, did I? No, okay, that's fine. Just because someone will tell me at the end and I'll be in trouble. Um, we're, running, we're just kind of looking at this mini-series of uh, community and we've, we're looking this morning at what it is to be a faithful community. And uh, if I had uh, one kind of message, one kind of point this morning... It is that we are to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to his body. So, Hebrews uh, chapter 10 from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Heavenly Father, we want to, um, we want to thank you for... Um, I want to thank you for your presence with us every day. We want to thank you for your presence with us right now as we gather together by the Spirit. And uh, we want to ask that um, this morning 
um, as we've gathered together, as we've lifted your name high, as we've met and encouraged one another, as, we've, as we hear your word now, would this not simply be information for our brains, but fuel that would burn our hearts, that our hearts would burn brightly for you as we hear all you have to say to us and respond, just as those last two contributions from Malcolm and and Sandra just encouraged and challenged and stirred us to do, to hear and respond to what you have to say to us. So Holy Spirit, please be with us um, and help us to... um, to feed on all that you have for us this morning. Amen. Okay, so, our passage for this morning. There's a a real sense that living out the Christian life kind of means living with others. We have to work at that. We do. Because it doesn't always come automatically to us. But you know, ultimately, it's so much more joyful and so much more fruitful. If you you know the book of Hebrews, there's lots of imagery within it. Perhaps if you don't, you might have been thinking, there's a lot of things in there I don't really get. But there's lots of imagery in Hebrews taken from the Old Testament. It was likely written to Jewish Christians and there's lots of language and ideas that they would be familiar with. And the same is true for our passage this morning. Entering the holy place, a way through the curtain, a great priest sprinkling and washing uh, blood. Um, The person writing the book of Hebrews is showing that Jesus and the new life that he brings to those that follow him has kind of been foreshadowed, has kind of been shown in the Old Testament. Uh, And many of the Old Testament rituals find actually their true fulfilment in Christ. They find their real meaning in Jesus and who he is. And so an example of this would be like from our passage where it says, uh, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. See, for the Israelite people, one of, the, one of the, cl- the, the closest way they would be allowed to come into the presence of God was in the holiest part of the temple, which was, it was cut off, cordoned off with a curtain at its entrance. So they could, the closest they could often come to the presence of God was in the holiest part of the temple. And it was cordoned off with a curtain. And this was done once a year by the priest. And a number of animal sacrifices would have to be made before that um, for the sin of the people. And you know, it was seen as such a dangerous thing that a rope was kind of tied around the priest's waist as he went in. Because if he died in the presence of God, they could then drag him out. Doesn't really feel, it doesn't really show confidence, does it? 
But the Bible tells us that Jesus has been sacrificed for us. The blood of Jesus um, refers to his death on the cross, which was the perfect sacrifice, not like the ongoing animal sacrifices in the New Testament, but once and forever. And because of this, we can come before God in confidence. So as we came this morning in worship, we could come knowing, I'm coming in confidence before God because of Jesus, because of all he's done for me. It also says that he's like the priest going on our behalf before the Father, offering a sacrifice, which is himself. This is Hebrews 10 Verse 12, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So the chapters in Hebrews have kind of been building up and building up and building up until we get to verse 22. So it's kind of saying, since all of this stuff is true, that a way has been made open to us, that Jesus has done what we couldn't do, then we're to draw near. See, in the Old Testament, drawing near frequently meant this. Go to this place. Come at this time. Come here but no further. Here are the limits. Here are the restrictions to how you're to approach God. We get a flavour of this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20, when it says, For they could not endure the order that was given If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Hey, Jubilee, brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, we are able to draw near to God. And drawing near means living our whole lives as worship to God. It means living our lives in the presence of God. It means living our lives in thankfulness to God. And so the rest of this passage that we're looking at this morning kind of tells us some ways that drawing near will look like. And guess what? Drawing near isn't simply a me and God thing. Actually, it has a community dimension to it, a community flavour to it. See, following Jesus will not be easy in this world. It won't. It won't always be easy. But hey, guess what? God had a plan. And it was to put you and I in community together. It's called the church. And we're to help one another follow and live for Jesus. Because just like the original readers, we live in a world, we live in a society that actually opposes that. I'm not saying there's some kind of secret conspiracy of Western societies that kind of looks to keep Christians out and Christians down or anything like that. But Jesus, Jesus did say in John 15, don't, effectively, don't, don't be surprised if they persecute you because they persecuted me. Um, and we know we have an enemy who does not want you and I to live for Jesus. So, How does this passage help us? What does this passage uh, give to us? 
Well, firstly, we're called to hold on to hope. We're called, it says, to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. See, you and I will be tempted in all sorts of different ways. We'll be tempted to think, do you know, I don't think I really am a Christian. We're tempted when we hear that voice that says, do you know, you've messed up again. You should just give up being a Christian. You've just messed up again. Or a voice that says, well, look at them. Look at Abbas. You're not like him. Look at... I could have chosen anyone there. It's just Abbas is on the front row. Look at so-and-so. They're a real Christian, not you. Why don't you just give up? We do. We hear that voice. Or perhaps we think, well, maybe I got all this Christianity stuff wrong because I'm still... I kind of thought it would be problem-free, but I'm still facing problems in life. I'm still hitting barriers and facing difficulties. Perhaps I should just give up. Do you know, these are the times when we're not to think, well, actually, I'll just have to try a bit harder. I just have to pull my socks up a bit and work a bit harder at this. Or I need to just drum up enough faith in me that actually problems just disappear out of my life because I'm so full of faith. No, rather, that's when we hold on to the truth of who we are in Christ. So when that voice comes to you and says, you know, you messed up again, you should just give up. We can reply, yeah, do you know, I may have messed up, but do you know what? I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm in Christ. I'm his. I'm not simply a miserable sinner anymore. No, no, no. I belong to him. And hey, yeah, I may have messed up, but I know he's faithful. I know I can come to him. I know his word says that. Um, if, we can, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive them. I, I'm not going to give up. I'm, in fact, I'm going to pursue and push into Jesus more and more because I'm in him and I know he doesn't give up on me because I know, like this passage says, he who promised is faithful. See, the hope we have isn't, is based on Jesus. It's based on his faithfulness. See, there's a hope in the Christian life that sees us through the circumstances and the difficulties of life and all its temptations. And it's a trust that knows that he's working even in those difficult times. You know, it's a trust that, that helps, it's a, it's a hope that helps us through when, we are, when, when your friends are mocking you or when they say, you know, just lighten up. You know, everyone cheats at college. Everyone sleeps around before they get married. Just lighten up a bit. And it's a hope that says, you know, I know there's something better. I'm going to go for all that Jesus has for me. I know there's something better. This is, listen, this is a quote from Rick Warren, who is a famous American leader, who over the last few years actually has had some serious life difficulties and circumstances to go through. And he was asked, what gives you hope most in life? He said, what gives me the most hope every day is God's grace, knowing that his grace is going to give me the strength for whatever I face. And, you know, he's faced some serious stuff, knowing that nothing is a surprise to God. 
to hope. And we're called, we're called secondly, to think about how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Spur one another on. That may be a difficult word. It won't be a difficult word for my friend Abbas because he has better English than me and better grammar than me, as do most of the internationals here. It, it kind of means, it may be something else in your Bible, it may be translated something different. It kind of means to encourage something to happen. Some translations say to provoke or to stir up one another. Listen, you can stir up trouble, can't you? You can stir up hatred. We sometimes see that on our streets. People stirring up hatred to a a particular type of group. You can do it in a very negative way. That's not what we're called to. We're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So we're called to think about how we stir one another up to love. So how we stir one another up to love, how we stir one another up to be a loving community. So you might say, well, that should be automatic, shouldn't it? That should just be what a Christian community is like. It should just happen. Well, actually, that's not what this passage suggests. It suggests that it's not as simple as that. We've got to stir one another up. We've got to stir one another to it. Stir ourselves how does, a, how does a parent stir up love in their child? How does a, a husband stir up love in his wife? It's not, you must love me. No, no, they show love to them. They show love to them. In the hope that actually they respond. That person responds in love. And I think it's the same in the church. Imagine a community of people regularly stirring up one another towards love, showing love to one another, which in turn then stirred up love in them. It's like a a, a kind of holy, virtuous circle as we stir one another up in love. Actually, it stirs up more love, and that in turn stirs us again, and we stir one another to love. See, it goes, goes against what our world says. Our world says... You do something for me first, and then I'll show you love. Then I'll do something for you. Actually, the Gospel says, in Christ, you're more loved than you can imagine. Now, let that love fuel how you love God and love others. So it's that Gospel pattern that's how we're to be with others in community. And it's not just love. What does it say? It's love and Raj said it. Raj was listening. Good. Let's say it together. Love and good deeds. Turn to the person next to you. My wife loves this. And say, love and good deeds. What, what a powerful combination. It really is. See, love is not simply, there, there, everything will be okay. Actually, it's love. Love, is, love is active. It's love in action. See, James makes a similar point in his, uh, in his letter about when he's talking about faith and good deeds. This is from chapter 2, verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, well, go in peace and keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that to them? 
So our devoted groups, our community groups, our social action projects, any community settings help us to stir up one another to love and good deeds. They provide a way for that to happen. See, that's why we need community. I need to be stirred up by you. You need to be stirred up by me. With a big spoon, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. See, it's suggesting that it's not something I can do on my own. And it's not something you can do on your own. Living for Jesus is a community project. Okay, next. Don't neglect meeting together. So secondly, we're told not to give up meeting together. See, it seems that there were some Christians in this community that had done exactly that. When the church was gathering together, they weren't present. And it's unlikely that it was because they were a bit lazy or that they thought they didn't have to meet with other Christians to be a Christian or that they had so many other things going on in their social calendars. You know, it may have been, actually, because of persecution. That being identified as a Christian meant your life, the life of your family, your home, your livelihood, was in danger. Actually, that's not so unfamiliar to many of our friends from other nations who have come from situations like that. But actually, if you know the book of Hebrews, there may be another reason for it. It may have been that there were some Jewish Christians who kind of thought that they were better. They were better than other Christians. And that somehow they'd be polluted by meeting with, with, with other um, uh, non-Jewish background Christians. See, in 21st century Teesside, there may be a number of reasons for Christians neglecting gathering with other Christians. It might be only wanting to meet with people like us. Might be laziness. Might be busy calendars. It might be, well, I'd only meet with people if there was something in it for me. But actually, guess what? This isn't simply a 21st century Western problem. John Calvin, who was a famous church reformer in the 1500s, I think we've got a picture of John Calvin, haven't we, Zach? There you go. There we go, Akin. There's a beard for you to. See if you can do one like that. Any of the beard wearers, I challenge you to a Calvin beard. John Calvin, some 500 years ago, wrote the following in his commentary on Hebrews. This is great. He said, he said you know, there's, there's, so much, uh, there's so much arrogance and there's so much self-centeredness and there's so much uh, uh, um, almost gloominess in people that individuals would, would gladly make churches for themselves if they could. For they find it so difficult to accommodate themselves to the ways and habits of others. And then he goes on, he says, The rich envy one another, and hardly one in a hundred can be found among the rich who allows the poor the name and rank of brother and sister. Unless they have similar habits or some um, advantages draw them together, it's very difficult even to maintain a continual concord amongst ourselves. That means kind of being together and 
loving one another. Extremely needed, therefore, by us all, is the admonition to be stimulated to love and not to envy, and not to separate from those whom God has joined us to, but to embrace with brotherly kindness all those who are united to us in faith. Okay, a bit wordy, but I hope you get the the gist of it. See, being with other people is not always easy. Sometimes they talk about totally different things to you. Do you know, sometimes they wind you up. Sometimes you wind them up. Sometimes they're not like you. Sometimes you're not like them. But Calvin's saying, God has joined you to people like that. You need them and they need you. And together, we stir one another to love. Okay, here's someone a bit more, only just last century, Arthur Wallace. And it's nice to have Jess and Kathy here, church planting in Halifax. Great to see you. I only read Arthur Wallace because Jeff always used to talk about Arthur Wallace. This is, this is what Arthur Wallace uh, a good Yorkshire. He was a Yorkshireman, I think, as well, wasn't he? Part, yeah. This is what Arthur Wallace said. He's, he says, the New Testament doesn't say, go to church and so be a good Christian. It says in so many words, you Christians belong to each other, so get together. Fourthly, encouraging one another. Can we go back now? One Zach, back to what the... Uh, there we go. Excellent. Thank you. Fourthly, encouraging one another. We're also told that one of the reasons to meeting together was to encourage one another. It's a spiritual gift, encouraging one another. And like any spiritual gift, it needs to be practised. I have a friend who's always encouraging me. And uh, I've known him since I was maybe 12 or 13. So probably six or seven years. some 20 years or so, even longer. But, you know, he always encourages me. And whenever I see him, I leave encouraged. And I kind of think, how does he do that? You know, I could think, do you know, I just need more friends like him. I just need more friends like him. But, do you know, I've got a feeling God would say to me, no, no, Simon, you need to be more like him. You need to practice more like him. Because that's how he did it. I just practiced it a lot. See, if I'm honest, coming on a Sunday morning or maybe coming to a midweek group, I can sometimes have my business head on and I can be thinking, right, I need to see that person about that. I need to see that person about that. And I talk to them about that task. And it's normally something that can wait. Wait till another time. Maybe you're the same. Do you know, if we came with an attitude of, do you know, for every, every person I'm going to speak to, I want them to leave encouraged. I want to encourage them this morning. I want to encourage them in their life with God. See, I try my hardest to say to people, look, if it can wait till next week, that's better. If it's quick on a Sunday, that's fine. If it can wait till next week, that's, that's so much better because I have a brain where things go in on a Sunday morning and then they fall out by Sunday lunchtime. Um, but actually, there's a bigger reason than that. I want Sunday mornings to be about encouraging one another in God. I want to be able to practice that gift amongst people. I want you to be able to practice 
that gift amongst people. And not simply people in our community, but people who come along, visitors. Perhaps if you're a visitor here, I hope you've felt welcomed and encouraged, or at least by the time you leave, you'll have felt welcomed and encouraged. And you know, it's easier often to encourage people when we know them a bit better. That's why midweek groups and other stuff are so good, because you can just get to know people a bit better than on a Sunday morning. They help us to do life together. And so finally, our passage says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day refers to Christ's return. There'll be a day when Jesus returns and all world history as we know it will be wrapped up. When evil will be finally dealt with. When each person will be called to give an account of their life. And it will be seen that, that no one has lived as they should have. We can't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's. Yet the eternal future of those who've trusted in Jesus won't be judged on the basis of how they've lived and how they've missed those standards, but on Jesus' perfect life, death and resurrection. See, that's the gospel. That is the day that everything is pointing to. Hey, I want to encourage you, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus in this life, can I encourage you to? Can I urge you to? Can I suggest speak with someone you've come to? Come with. It's the best thing you will ever do. See, one commentator puts this bit of the passage like this. It says, Christians are to live as if that day was if that day was so near that its arrival was just beyond the horizon. See, what does, what does living for that day look like? Well, the New Testament tells us a bit. It says this, 2 Peter 3, to live holy and godly lives. 1 Peter 2, to live good lives around those that don't know Jesus. Philippians 2, to hold firmly to God's word. And here in Hebrews, to keep meeting together and encouraging one another. See, I kind of think there's there's some Christians who are more interested in calculating when that day is going to be on a calendar than actually living the type of life that God calls them to in the light of that day. I was just reading on the internet this weekend of some other person in America, some other Christian who's said that it's going to be April this year. So if you've got summer holidays planned, I'd suggest you bring them forwards. Um, you know, there's more people just interested in working out when, when that day's going to be than actually living in the light of it. Or there's others who actually in the thought of that day become very pessimistic and become very closed and insular. Just hide away, shut off from the world and wait for that day. That's all I can do. It kind of paralyzes them. They become inactive for God. See, living in the light of Jesus' return is about how we live now and how we live with others now. It's about what this passage is talking about. 
So actually, meeting with other Christians, being involved in these devoted groups, being involved in community groups, being involved in community together, being on mission together in so many different ways, has an eternal perspective to it. That is living in the light of eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? It is to me. Will you live for that? Will you live in the light of that and all God has to say to us in it? We're going to break bread. Again, do you know there's a a wonderful communal aspect to breaking bread? And uh, I'm going to suggest we do it in our new devoted groups in similar ways that we did it and got to pray together last week. We're remembering, as we break bread, we are remembering Jesus, his sacrifice for us, his death on the cross for us. We're remembering it. And you know, the bread that's broken, it it, it reminds us and points to the fact that we're one body. Now, we need more than one loaf because there's so many of us, but, you know, we're reminded that from one loaf is broken in many ways, and together as we take it, we are one body. We're the body of Christ together. I often get, people often say, um, yeah, I'd love to be baptised again. Oh, I loved my day of baptism. I'd love just to be baptised again that day. And so often I have to say to them, well, actually, we, we don't believe that. We believe baptism is a, a once-for-all-time act. Um, but do you know what? We continually and regularly break bread together. And in it, we continually and regularly remember that we are continually and constantly fed and nourished in Christ. He feeds us, we receive from him in every aspect of life. And so we remember that as we break bread together. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he's given to the church. Don't miss the richness of what we're about to do, breaking bread together. Do you know, if you're a Christian from another church, you are more than welcome to break bread with us. We would, in fact, we would love you to break bread with us as we do this. Um, if you're not a Christian and you just want to join one of these groups and join in the praying, that's wonderful. We'd love that too. Um, but let's do it together um, in devoted groups. Um, and if you don't know if you're in a devoted group or which one you're going to do, just go and join a group. Just go and join and break bread together. Why don't we bless and encourage one another together as we do that? You might even want to break up into smaller groups in, that, in those devoted groups Um, just to make it a bit more intimate, that's okay. But why don't we break bread together as we do that? So uh, let's do it in the same groups as we did last time. I'll pray and then we'll go and do it. But Stockton, uh, over there, uh, Rosebrook, Stockton, Hartlepool, all that. Um, Devoted at Hope House over here. And at the back, uh, Middlesbrough Community Group, South Bank, Eritrean brothers and sisters, um, uh, devoted at Linthorpe Road Resource Centre. They haven't got catchy names, that's the problem. (laughs) Over in that corner there. Um, And if you're not part of a devoted group and you just want to join a group and break bread, we would love you to. Don't feel any kind of uh, hindrance in that. Just go and do it.
Let's, I'll pray and then we'll do it. Father God, we want to thank you for who you are. We say, as we even sung that first song this morning, we're here for you. And so, as we uh, break bread this morning together, as we take the wine, we remember your sacrifice for us. We remember that you went to the cross for us. You went for your bride. You went for your people. You didn't shrink back. But you gave your very life for us. And now, in confidence, we can enter into your presence. We can draw near with confidence. We can enter knowing you've done it all. And we're yours. And so we draw, even as we break bread, we draw near in confidence, knowing you've given it all for us so that we might be yours uh, and so that we might live for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.